1: All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, what are we going to talk about today? (laughs) Of course, um, you've been seeing things in the media presumably leading up to today, and and you will until uh, November 22nd. Um, which is this year the fiftieth anniversary of the day that JFK was assassinated fifty years ago, November twenty second, nineteen sixty three. Well, you know, there's still fifty years later a controversy over whether it was a lone gunman or Lee Harvey, Harvey Oswald, or whether there was um, whether he was just um, someone who was. Um, one part of the puzzle, and really, uh, conspiracy theorists have all kinds of conspiracies that they've talked about as to why, what, who wanted to, call, to kill Kennedy, and why. Well, my guest today has a really interesting uh, look at this in his new book called A Rose by Many Other Names. It's the story of Rose Sharami, and uh, how do you pronounce it? Jeremy Okay, Sheremy. I had a feeling I was pronouncing that wrong. Sheremy. Okay. Um, and it's, it's a rose by many other names. See, she got another name. A rose by many other names, Rose, Sheremy, and the JFK assassination. And what's interesting is that my guest, Todd Elliott, um, lives in Louisiana and is currently a reporter for the Eunice News in Eunice, Louisiana. And this is where um, Rose Charamey was. And we're going to hear all about her story and how she, in fact, predicted, not by being a psychic, but by actual experience, she predicted the assassination of Kennedy and no one would listen to her. So welcome to the show, Todd.
3: Hey, thanks for having me, Doctor.
2: Um, well, let's hear about this. I mean, first, before we get into the story of Rose, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, how, what made you? I mean, um, it doesn't from your picture. It doesn't seem like you were alive at no, the time. I wasn't. Okay. Um, what made you, first of all, develop <laughs> this interest in Rose? I'm going to keep calling her Rose. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. fine. No,
3: I, look, I'm I'm 39 years old. I'm one of I I think I'm one of the youngest uh, JFK published authors. You know, on the subject, I was not alive until you know 11 years after. So a whole generation passed. And I'm I'm part of this. Uh, hopefully, a new generation that will kind of carry the torch of truth seekers everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really can't explain. Am I on the couch now? I'm officially on the couch. Yes, so I'm gonna, I always put my guests on childhood. the couch
2: to start uh, off with uh, and know. find out why they picked what they did to write about. Like, what intrigued well, you about this? Well, I
3: don't know. Ever since I was a kid, I was I was somewhat fascinated by it. Uh, I was I was given uh, probably in 1987 or 1988. I was given an English writing assignment. And I had to write from the perspective of a historical inanimate object. And for some reason, I chose the uh, presidential limousine, which rode through Dealey Plaza on that fateful day. Hmm. Now, I don't know why I chose that. I just always was fascinated with the mystery of JFK. And even as a kid, you hear things about the connections and the coincidences between Lincoln's assassination and Hmm. Kennedy's assassination. So as a kid, I was fascinated by that. And then when I became a teenager... Uh, I went through a lot of changes. I saw uh, J- JFK by Oliver Stone in 1991, mm-hmm. and that really crystallized all these like weird coincidences for me, and just the mystery itself was deeper than I could have possibly ever imagined. So it crystallized really any thoughts that I I had about uh, JFK and the truth, uh, and the truth, uh, and what we're looking at truthfully is uh, not so much of a conspiracy, but Um, A murder, an unsolved murder. That's what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as conspiracy goes, Eunice, Louisiana, which where I'm speaking to you from live today, Eunice, Louisiana, I dub in my book as the birthplace of the JFK conspiracy theory because Rose Cherami is the first, in my opinion, the first JFK conspiracy theorist. She actually believed in a conspiracy uh, against the president while he was still alive, on Wednesday, November 20th, 1963, this woman, Rose Sheremey, who was a prostitute, she was a drug courier, huh. uh, she worked for Jack Ruby, she was actually in Dallas six months before the assassination where she was arrested, but she was arrested probably over a hundred times, and no kidding, um, she has a criminal record that goes back to the 40s. And the FBI had a file on her since the 40s. She's
2: well, an wait, 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 wait. Mm-hmm. Um, how old was she at the time of the assassination? At
3: the time of the assassination, she was in her 40s, early 40s. Yeah. Uh, at the time of the assassination, she was 41.
2: And what was she doing in Dallas before the assassination?
3: Well, she claimed to have worked for Jack Ruby as a dancer uh, at one of, her, one of his clubs. Huh. And, uh, yeah, but what... What's really, what really fascinates folks, and it obviously fascinated Oliver Stone, because at the start of his film, JFK, he starts the first dramatized sequence of his film with her and her legend, really. Um, he shows a woman at the start of the film being thrown from a moving vehicle. If you've seen the movie, you, you might know what I'm talking about. I did
2: see the movie, but, <laughs> but I don't remember that part. Well, you
3: have to watch it again, because and I watch it quarterly. But, and I love the film, but uh, the thing is, uh, it, it doesn't say Eunice, Louisiana, but that is Eunice, Louisiana that what they are depicting on, on the big screen there. Uh, and, and what she told people, uh, she was taken to a hospital. She was told, uh, she told them that she was thrown out of a moving vehicle. She said that she was traveling, uh, from Miami through Louisiana with two men. She was traveling with two men who were on their way to Dallas to kill Kennedy on Friday. Now this is the first instance of Foreknowledge of the assassination. I mean, she actually pointed to a time and a place. Uh, there were other kind of rumblings and uh, things from the underworld, really, where people, you know, right wingers who wanted to, you know, talk about killing Kennedy and things like this. But this person, Rose Cheremy, actually pointed to a time and place, and she even claimed, according to the um, testimony of the state trooper uh, that she that she told this to. Uh, he he testified before the House Select Committee on Assassinations during the 95th Congress in 1979 and 78. Uh, He testified that she was even supposed to take part in the assassination on some lower level, but she was supposed to receive $8,000 for her participation uh, in the assassination. So she's taken to uh, the Musa Hospital in Eunice, Louisiana, where she tells uh, hospital staff and law enforcement officials this crazy story that no one believes and no one believed her uh they thought she was on dope which you know she probably was uh, in fact the doctor one of the doctors um you know uh had um, deduced that she was um she had her uh, probably last intravenous cocktail sometime at two two o'clock that afternoon now this was 4 p.m when she signed in uh by her own hand uh and i actually have the copy of the emergency room register which she. She signed, hmm. and this is important because the people who, and I've spoken to witnesses who were around back then, they remember that day in Eunice, and they, they were around, um, that uh, there were men within days uh, after the assassination who came to Eunice, Louisiana, and they took the uh, arrest records from the Eunice City Jail, where she ended up after the hospital stay, and they took the hospital records. But before they took the hospital records, one man kind of broke his Hippocratic Oath, or he broke the law uh, ethically, and he ran a copy off of the emergency room register. He did a Xerox copy of the huh. emergency room register. and That thank-
2: said that she had, that included what she was telling them about the assassination? Well,
3: no, that wasn't included in the emergency room register, but just her name, the fact that it's the only shred of evidence that she was ever here, because mm. of the story that the world knows, and look, the, there's a world full of, JFK nerds like myself, who know this story, and we've known it for a long time, but there's no proof that any of this ever happened. In fact, all traces of rose Shemi would have been completely wiped out and erased had it not been for this one man, Louis Pavour, who got wind of these government agents, and they were either secret service or they claimed to be secret service, they claimed to be FBI, but they were coming to seize the records of this Rose Sheremy woman. And uh he just figured that he better get a copy of it because it was historical and it was significant. And I'm so glad that he did that he had that kind of foresight. And it's in my book. And you know it, it can it can for the first time prove that she was here and dispel other rumors. There's a lot of disinformation uh out there about that, um about Rose Sheremy. And so what happens was after she went to the Eunice City jail uh, she started acting more erratic, and uh, uh, the uh, assistant coroner, uh, who doesn't remember seeing this crazy woman talking about killing the President of the United States, mm. he doesn't remember any of this. He's still alive today, but uh, he's in the book, but he, does, he doesn't have a good memory. And, and it's funny, when it comes to the, the Kennedy assassination, he remembers where he was that day like everybody does, but he doesn't remember you know, two days before, which, mm. which I thought was strange. Uh, so... She obviously said some things that were so crazy that he had her committed to the largest Louisiana state mental hospital. And so they took her, the state trooper.
2: Wait, uh, I I kind of have lost you here. mm I mean, I think (laughs) we we need to sort of go over these things a little more slowly. Okay, Um, yeah. Why don't we start with who threw her out of the car?
3: Well, according to the witnesses, they were at a place called the Silver Slipper which we would call a cat house or a house of ill repute. It was a whorehouse, basically, mm-hmm. where either she was working, picking up, making a delivery, drugs were involved, uh, there was also sex trafficking going on uh, heavily at that time. And now, it's, it, the, the owner of that establishment identified two men, according to the uh, testimony done in the, the 70s from the HSCA, and one of the men was uh, named Sergio Arcacha-Smith, who was a Cuban expatriate uh, with strong ties to the CIA. And then another name given was just Santo, uh, a man by the name of Santo. And that's really all we kind of know about that. And um, so these are the two men. She said that they were two Italian-looking men. And I, I wonder if she even knew, or if she didn't give us the whole truth, and she knew their names and she just wasn't telling but uh, I've also I've dubbed her the, the grandmother of WikiLeaks because you know she was determined to speak the truth and, and really speak the unspeakable uh, and, and know that she was putting her life in danger. I think she knew what she was doing. I think she knew that she would end up dead shortly after, and she did. Probably about a year and a half later, she was found dead um, in 1965. But uh, it wasn't before, you know, on Thursday, November 21st, where she found herself in, a, in the East Louisiana State Hospital in Jackson, where she told more authorities that Kennedy would be killed at a Dallas underpass on Friday. She told him that on Friday. And Rose Sherman is like the strangest woman that I have never known. And there's not a lot that you can find on a woman, uh, historically, document-wise. Uh, you can't really do a lot of, research on a woman who had 35 known aliases. And hmm. according to her FBI record and rap sheet, she had just that, over 35 known aliases that she used. And, um, you know, her name wasn't even Rose Shermie. Her real name was Melba Markades, and she was <laughs> well, from Houston, Texas. Well,
2: well let me stop but you there. The name because of the book, because uh, you've, certainly, um, you've certainly given us enough to uh, intrigue us. And yeah. In fact, I'm calling this the most intriguing conspiracy theory. And and yes, I get it that it's really, uh, really a murder. But we'll, I want to go back. We we need to take a break now. Mm-hmm. But when we come back, I'd like you to take us from the beginning. You know, a psych- I'm a psychiatrist. I like things uh, chronologically, and mm-hmm. it's easier for my listeners to to you know for all of us to hear the story and understand the story as well. Um, so when we come back, we will do that. We will, take, we will back, um, backtrack and, yeah. uh, and hear more about this fascinating woman. My guest and my fascinating guest, his name is Todd Elliott. The book is called A Rose by Many Other Names, Rose Cheremy and the JFK Assassination. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
5: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today on the 50th almost, on on November 22nd. It's going to be the 50th anniversary of the JFK assassination. And um, my guest is Todd Elliott. He's the author of a new book called A Rose by Many Other Names, Rose Cherami and the JFK Assassination. And we were just getting some highlights of the um, intriguing uh, story of Rose, who um, apparently knew about the uh, assassination forthcoming, and nobody would believe her. And from what you've told us so far, Todd, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, one of the big things she had against her, I mean, it wasn't just that that was such a um, you know, an outlandish kind of thing that nobody wanted to believe that he right. would be assassinated, but it was also as a prostitute and a drug addict, you know, it was yeah. easy to to lock her up, easier to lock her up than oh, to yeah. just uh, go on what she was saying. So tell us so you, before we before the break, you were starting yeah. to tell us about uh that she was someone with all these aliases and how well, did you do How did you do research on this? How did you um, track down all of these things that you started to talk about?
3: Well, I'll tell you, I started my research back in 2010. And back then, I was looking for a book on Rose Hmm. Sheramy because I was intrigued. It happened in my own Louisiana backyard here. And I wanted to do a story for a magazine that I was working for at the time. I wanted to do something, um, you know, that I didn't have to go to Dallas. And, Mm -hmm. And the good thing about my book, it's refreshing. We don't go to Dallas, really, in my book. We don't make it there. Rose didn't make it there. But, um, you know, there's a lot of books that uh, have theories and, and, and revisit Dealey Plaza. And this book is different because it's kind of like a prequel. Mm-hmm. And the the 50th anniversary of Rose Sheremey's revelation is tomorrow. And she told, and she was really a nobody. I mean, if you, if you want to know the truth, she was a mother uh she was a daughter her son was probably 10 years old at the time she was doing some hard living in louisiana and and all up and down miami and uh through florida uh she was a drug courier she was a car thief she was a prostitute but she didn't just deal in drugs and sex she dealt in information now, i don't know how she got a lot of her information um, i i supposed in the book you know i mused that maybe she was working for the government maybe for the justice department and um she I mean she was really a nobody as far as like government was concerned but she was working for the Carlos Marcello heroin network in Louisiana and Carlos Marcello he's now dead but he was the godfather the mafioso king daddy uh, the mafia kingfish uh, of Louisiana and he was he was the man who actually had motive to kill the president of the United okay, States Okay why Yeah
2: because
3: yeah. why? Mm-hmm. Because Bobby Kennedy, with the U.S. Justice Department, had this man forcibly deported out of the country, uh, and by plane, Carlos Marcelo was dropped off in Central America and South America on two separate occasions. He was flown back into the United States. They didn't think he would make it back in. They didn't think he would survive, uh, but he did. And I, uh, I think therein uh, they therein lay some motive. Uh, for this uh, huge mafioso who worked in conjunction with the Chicago Mafia and then and, and, and Florida and Texas Mafia as well, I think a plan was hatched to, to take out the president of the United States. Uh, yeah. In other words, to get, to stop, and the, the Mafia expression is to stop the tail from wagging, you cut the dog's head off, and so they went straight for the top, they went for Jack Kennedy, President JFK, mm-hmm. and... Um, so she was part of this heroin network. She hung out with bad guys that most people try to, you know, avoid their whole life. And, and she had some hard living. Now, I don't know what made her say what she said in Eunice, Louisiana that day. I don't know if she was having buyer's remorse, if she was against it. Uh, I still, people still today in Eunice, Louisiana come forward and, and they're, they're, they've heard stories. They've all heard rumors. And now it's kind of like the dirty secret is out and everybody's, feels a lot more relaxed to talk about it. You know, Eunice was kind of a shoddy place with a lot of whorehouses back then in the, in the uh, early 60s and late 50s. Um, but they say that she was running her mouth uh, at this one bar, and they left this one place that was, a, it was also a bar and a, a whorehouse as well. And they ended up at another one across town, and that's where they dropped her off. They, they left her at a place called the Silver Slipper, and she was slapped around. According to the uh, owner of the silver slipper, she was slapped around. There was some some d- discrepancy. Something was going on. I mean, it's really unclear what happened, but it's not unclear what she said and what she told authorities uh, shortly thereafter. And um, she. So you was, mean
2: okay? So you mean she she got angry at these people who she was working that's what with? I, and I think that's
3: really why she went, you know, off and just said what she said. I think she was. She was just a woman scorned, I think. And, and I know how that is. I mean, that's something you do not want to do. And I think she was angry, and I think she just decided, I'm going to spill the beans. Mm-hmm. And here it goes. Mm-hmm. And she did it. And people heard her, but they didn't believe her. And I, I think sometimes in America the truth comes too late. Like, for instance, with the whole mess with the JFK conspiracy theory and the, and the assassination of JFK, the truth comes too late. But in the instance of Rose Jeremy, with the, in this case, uh, the truth came too early, but it came, and but people are now uh, they're starting to find her, I think, believable after reading the book, um, because you know we're really talking about a person who was dehumanized, and if you can humanize someone who's had this hard and terrible life, then you can relate to him, and I think what I set out to do, subconsciously or consciously, over a period of time, I I learned a lot about art and and how powerful it can really be um if you take something like old photographs and and you can and you you know for the for the longest time for 50 years all we saw of this woman was a very unflattering mugshot and you hmm. can look it up on wikipedia or yahoo images or whatever but this very flattering mugshot of rose Jeremy from her last arrest in new orleans of october, on october 21st 1964 and this it's a It's a picture of a tired woman, and she looks, you know, haggard and worn, and and she just looks tired, probably tired of being alive. And that might have been why why she also said what she said. She knew what she was saying. But, um, you know, to see her in a different light, to take her out of that horrible mugshot that's been around for 50 years, probably by design, but the the book presents images of Roe Shermie that we've never seen before. Hmm. Wait, how
2: did you get them?
3: Well, I got them from her son. I actually found her son, who was 10 years old at the time of the Kennedy assassination.
2: Well, that's and, actually what I was going to ask you. What I would imagine the son would have a lot of interesting things to say. What is his story?
3: His story has really yet to be... He's been working on a book for, I think, 20, maybe 30 years. Um, but I, I, got, I kind of put him as the coda in her story. Um, he's got you know a chapter in my book, definitely, But he held back a lot of information, I think because he wants to write his own book, and I hope he does, but it's supposed to come out sometime next year. Uh But he did provide, you know, these amazing photographs of this woman that, when I first first saw them, I couldn't believe it was actually the same woman. Mm. It's night and day. It doesn't look like the same woman. Mm. But from these pictures, we know that she was a mother. She was a daughter. She was a wife. She was a telephone operator.
2: Mm.
3: (laughs) According to her criminal record, she was a waitress and a stenographer, and You know, she wasn't an idiot. How she got in on the conversation to whack the president, where that came up and that was being discussed, I had no idea. I mean, she she might have slept with the right person
1: or, Mm -hmm.
3: you know, she might have had her ear peeled uh, when she was working at Jack Ruby's Carousel Club in Dallas. Who knows? But I I suppose, I I kind of put it out there as a theory that she was working for the government, maybe even uh, Bobby Kennedy's office. And, And lo and behold... Uh, in the 70s, and she didn't appear in the Warren Commission uh, report, which is, um, you know, the sequel to the Warren Commission report was the House Select Committee on Assassinations from the 95th Congress in uh, March of 1979, and that's when we first see documented evidence that, yes, the government acknowledged that this woman uh, was an FBI informant. And from there I thought, well, aha. So she did work for the government, at least the FBI uh, you know, verify that, uh, to the extent that's in the, uh, the published, uh, documents. But, um, I always tell people, you know, it doesn't matter what I believe, because people will ask me sometimes, do you believe Rose Sherman? Do you believe what she said? And, and I always say, well, it doesn't matter what I believe. The FBI believed this woman, and they believed her up until the last month of her, li- uh, the month of her life, the last days of her life, uh, she was still informing to the FBI. And they, in the documents, say that all her information was verifiable. It was true and good information. So if it's good enough for the FBI, hmm. you know, and that she obviously knew what she was doing, dealing in information. I mean, what kind of person does that? Some sort of operative, some sort of, you know, double agent, something like that. But she knew it was either some of this information that was going to keep her alive and going in a world that uh, she was probably trying to get out of, uh, but you know, I, I here's a woman who's an FBI informant, and she's connected to the underworld prior to the assassination, and even after the assassination. And uh, I think uh, when she was, what's what's very important about her is um, she was sent to the Louisiana State Hospital in Jackson after she spent a little time in the Eunice City Jail and the Eunice Hospital. So they they brought her to the state hospital, um, and she. Uh, she told staff members there the same thing. But she ended up on Monday back in the custody of state troopers who were ordered to extradite her back to Texas. They basically just wanted her out of the state. And, uh, um.
2: You know what? I need. Yeah. I, 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 let me stop you there because that's a good place to spot, stop since we have to take a break and it's mm-hmm. kind of leaving us all on a. Um, uh, on the hook, <laughs> wondering oh, what comes good. next.
3: Okay. <laughs> uh,
2: so let me, let me take an, another break. Um, my guest is Todd Elliott. The book that he's, uh, that has just come out and, uh, is, uh, apropos for these days, um, is called Rose by Many Other Names, Rose Cherimee and the JFK Assassination. When we come back, we'll talk more, hear more of this story, amazing, what I think is the most intriguing conspiracy theory of all, especially because of the psychiatric roots of her, her mental institution that we're just about to get into, literally. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
4: We're a show all about wine, spirits, and other beverages. Your host, Kimber Stonehouse, is a professional expert and wine enthusiast. Each week, we'll focus on a different region of the world, discuss wines and other beverages, talk about some of the top restaurants in the region, and what to pair with which wine. Just listening could make you almost an expert. Around the World in a Glass is heard live every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live
2: uh, with my guest today talking about what I think is the most intriguing conspiracy theory or homicide theory of all time. Um, we will get back to that. I just want to mention that I read this uh, in a number of places, that over 60% of Americans believe that more than one person was involved in a conspiracy to kill the president. In other words, um, don't believe that Lee Harvey Oswald single-handedly decided to do this. Mm-hmm. So we're talking today uh, with Todd Elliott, the author of A Rose by Many Other Names, Rose Sheremy Ch- and the JFK Assassination. Um, no. you, and we were just at the part where she... This is the part that I find the most interesting, because I imagine myself as a psychiatrist with a woman with a history in her 40s, with a history of prostitution and drug abuse, and thinking that she was currently um, or recently had taken drugs how I would react to her telling me that Kennedy was going to be killed uh, in the next day or two. Yeah. So how did they react? What did happen when she was in the institution?
3: Well, they thought she was out of her mind. I mean, they really thought it was, you know, she was on drugs, uh, but to this day there's, uh, you know, no proven side effect that uh, any drug that you're on can point to the time and place where the leader of the free world would be assassinated. But she did. Uh, And what's interesting, you brought up... uh, the hospital, the mental institution, and and Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, The hospital where she ended up is called the East Louisiana State Hospital in Jackson, Louisiana, the largest mental, it was the largest mental hospital um, facility at the time. And uh, curiously enough, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald had applied at that same facility in the summer of 1963. And also a little coincidence Had applied?
2: What, What do you mean had applied?
3: Applied for a position to work there. Now, yeah, a lot of people think that that was, uh, they were trying to sheep dip him in a way to, uh they could go back later and have paperwork uh that he was, you know, either in a mental facility or tie him to a mental facility somehow. But that's one coincidence that Rose Sheramy had with Lee Harvey Oswald. Now, not only that, um, they she was arrested in uh, Oklahoma town, which, and her arrest record is really her story. It's really the telling part, of it. there almost can be no real biography of this woman. It's already written in her criminal record. And uh, she was picked up in a, a small town in Altus, Oklahoma, and uh, Oswald, curiously enough, had an address for an Altus, Oklahoma with no name attached to it. And that's kind of where, you know, that's the similarities or the coincidences, odd coincidences that she and Oswald shared. But um, what's strange is that... The story that everyone knows, and I mean, the JFK conspiracy has a global appeal. People all over the world enjoy talking about the crime of the 20th century. Um, the the story that everyone knows about Rose, it, it, you, it you can't be proven. There's no documents to really prove it. Uh, the fact that these uh, uh, the Eunice residents said that within days of the assassination, men came from the government, they took hospital records of this woman they took the jail records of this woman and i mean her record her crime record has every little arrest i mean even for vagrancy or uh, you know even just the most piddly little arrest that she was ever picked up on is in her crime record now, mm-hmm. nothing about the unis arrest nothing about her being picked up there at all mm. and then nothing about her going to the state mental facility mm. which you ask yourself well would the FBI have concerned themselves with a repeat offender or a criminal yeah. going into a, a, a mental facility? Well, yes, and they did. Uh, they have her in 1961 at that same Jackson Hospital in Jackson, Louisiana, and her charge in 1961 was criminally insane. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know what that entails, what, uh, what it meant for a woman in 1961 to be, quote, criminally insane. Uh-huh. <laughs> but... It's curious, they have that charge, they have that stint or her stay listed in her FBI documents, but they don't have the November 21st mm. admission from 1963 in there. In fact, she has nothing on her record for November 1963 at all.
2: And, but, uh, yeah. Yeah,
3: go ahead. Oh, go ahead. go ahead. No, Well,
2: I was just going to say that, um, that it's, why, would it, it's, why would the government – Mm -hmm. Um, well, I mean, I guess I kind of know, it just seems strange that the government would trust, yes, she had connections to the mob and so on, Mm
0: -hmm. but,
2: um, it it, it seems like a rather dangerous thing to do. She seemed like a loose cannon. Well, she was a loose cannon, apparently, because she did tell this story.
3: Yeah. Well, you couldn't have Bobby Kennedy getting his hands dirty in there. (laughs) He couldn't do it. I mean, you had to get somebody like Rose Shermy who was already kind of dirty and used to working the system and knowing how to... this See, this hospital in Louisiana, I've heard also was rumored to be uh, sort of a safe house for the mafioso figures who, uh, to beat a crime rap, they would uh, feign insanity to go to this hospital and they'd be taken care of and then released shortly thereafter. I always felt that when I was doing my research that for some reason Rose wanted to get back to that hospital, mm. that she felt safe. And I, that's the word I... I in my mind, I always thought that she was once she got back into that hospital, she was safe in that hospital, you know, mm-hmm. because the bullets were literally about to start flying, and and she told people about it, um, and it's interesting too that uh, this woman who was arrested nearly hundred fifty times, and I'm not kidding, <laughs> you have to look at her crime record, but this woman who was arrested so many times never had the charge that she had put on her for her final arrest in New Orleans, Louisiana, on October 21st, 1964. Um, She's actually also charged with, among vagrancy and uh, other things, but she, it's the first time that Rose Shermie resisted arrest.
0: Hmm. And
3: I think that's very telling. It happened after the Kennedy assassination. She's obviously scared, and she ends up shortly thereafter, back in Texas in 1964, and by September of 1965, she's found dead on the side of a Texas highway.
4: Hmm.
3: Yeah, She's one of these JFK statistics. Those Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunate souls who after the Warren Commission report was um, released in 1964, these people who met with untimely deaths uh, or or unnatural deaths Mm
0: -hmm. at this
3: high probability or improbability rate um, that that happened from 64 on to 77 or 78. Uh, But yeah, I mean, Rose is just, she's one of these, um, she's one of these Louisiana characters, and one that I found intriguing and one that I hope people still find intriguing. Mm-hmm. It's not a big book, and I'll be honest with you, but it's not the size of the book that matters,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
3: Dr. Carroll. It's how you write it or how you use it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, well, getting um, back to the
2: institution for a minute. Yeah. The, you, the, the person you said who took the, um, who copied the admission sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a psychiatrist?
3: No, no, that was a... This guy was a a, an, a, a radiological uh, technician. technician? He, this was in the Eunice Hospital, not the mental facility. I see. Now, but I did talk to a doctor who did work at the mental facility in Jackson, Louisiana. Yeah. He had gone over some of her records and looked at her records, but one of the doctors um, that also worked there told him about this, and... But when he was called to testify during the 70s, he told, he, he swapped the stories around. He's saying that the man that he told was the origin of the source of this Rose Sheramy story. Hmm. So the government acknowledges in their documents that this man originated the story of Rose Sheramy at the mental facility in Jackson, Louisiana. He was never called, though. He was never called to testify. They never really even wanted to hear from him. And um, subsequently, the doctor who testified you know and there's a great line in my book that where one doctor uh, of psychology is talking about another of, <laughs> of psychology and he says yeah. you know these doctors they they don't like to appear uh incorrect in their thoughts or their minds. well <laughs> you know so he said, but he actually called him you know one day and said hey how come you you went on record and you said that i said this story yeah. when it was you that told me yeah and he said he mumbled something or other and it, it turns out that he uh he ended up uh and a lot of people end up dead with cancer in the JFK conspiracy thing i, mm. I don't know that just happens mm. Uh, mm. jack ruby was one of them jack ruby uh mm-hmm. unfortunately after he was after he was, uh, was successful in scoring a, a retrial uh he he was diagnosed with cancer and was dead 29 days later cuz you mm. know that
2: that just happens mm. <laughs> yeah but but i think if you look
3: at louisiana's history And you look at the mafia connection, it plays out plausibly. I mean, we had uh, Huey P. Long, governor and senator from Louisiana, who kind of met with the same fate. I mean, he was gunned down in public, and the man who allegedly shot him was killed right there on the spot with him. So there was never Hmm. any trial, and that's one thing that people have to remember. There was never a trial, and this is still an unsolved case in the murder of the president.
2: Hmm. Well, what about the father of the son, of Rose's son? Do you know who the father is? Did you speak with I him? I don't.
3: I was never able to determine that. And I'm not sure. He, when I interviewed him, was unsure. Now, he may have been holding back. He seemed to have, unfortunately, held back too much, uh, because he met, he met with me and he brought his Publisher along with him, so mm. it was kind of like his attorney was there, mm. and he kept asking him, "Well, should I tell him this? Because I could mm. save it for my book." And mm. well, I mean, now it's too late, and I wish he hadn't have done that, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, but he did. I don't know if he knew who his father was. Um,
2: well, who took care? Of, so he was eleven or so, or twelve when yeah, she died. Yeah, he was pretty much
3: raised and by who, his grandparents, and and he told me that he expressed that he'd probably only met his mother that he can really remember probably about six or seven times. Uh, Really? Yeah. She was always, he said, trying to protect her. He said there were even instances that he remembers uh, her being across the street from a playground watching him as a Mm -hmm. kid, and he would see her, and then she'd be gone, or she'd come and visit and, you know, be very brief and be back out on the road again. Uh, But I think she stayed away and she she kept her son out of it because there was – You know, there's a strange uh, thread in the whole story where her son was being held, kind of like for ransom. In fact, she told the state trooper that one of the they were on their way. They were going to number one get some money. They were supposed to pick up some money in Houston, Texas, and then they were going to get her baby, which someone was holding for her, you know, somewhere. And then they were supposed to kill Kennedy. And the the thing. And then they were
2: supposed to what? I'm sorry. Kill Kennedy. Oh, these two, wait, these two men were going to do this or with her? Well, she two?
3: implied that she was. That she was also supposed to take part and she was supposed to get $8,000, you know, that's 1963 dollars, uh, for her part in the Kennedy assassination, whatever it may have been. Until
2: these guys threw her out. Until these right. guys got rid of her, they were all supposed to be going together to Dallas. Right. Exactly. I see. Okay. Well, we need to take another break and, uh, My guest, again, is Todd Elliott, talking about this amazing book. Um, We'll tell you at the end of the show where you can find it. And And
3: at the end of the show, you'll tell me if I'm certifiable
2: or not. Right, or or if you're going to get cancer. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
4: Talk, talk, talk.
5: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I want to get right back to my guest because his story about Rose Jeremy is really fascinating. His book is called A Rose by Many Other Names. He is Todd Elliott. And um, we are, I'm sure, just talking about highlights. Obviously, you all need to read the book, and I will tell you uh, more about that before the show ends. Um, But you know, before the break, I was kind of off the off the cuff saying, "Before you get cancer," kind of kidding, but (laughs) but many a true word has been said in jest. And and I was um, starting to ask you, what do do you think? Have you in in digging into this story about Rose Mm -hmm. and her? Uh, possibly being a double agent or her various connections, Mm. um, do you worry about so-called getting cancer? Do you worry that someone's going to want to do you in because you know too much now? Um, You know, sometimes.
3: But the thing that I've noticed a a lot uh, doing my research is that I actually had four or five witnesses um, who were afraid to go on the record, and they would not go on the record. And I thought, well, this is amazing. Fifty years later, fifty years have passed, and people are still scared to talk about this. Yeah. And this woman, Rose Sherman, if she was nothing, if she was just a just a prostitute or a junkie, then why are people scared to talk about it? Yes. And and I really believe that what I'm doing and what I've done, I've done in the face of fear and this ingrained fear that's been that's enveloped our country for fifty years, and it's really taken root and it's taken hold of. A generation or two of of Americans, and and I think that by doing what I'm doing, it can be an inspiration to either someone younger than myself or someone in my generation that we can, you know, carry the torch and pass on the torch, whatever, for uh, the the truth seekers to to keep you know keep at it and 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 keep and be determined to to find the truth and and yes. not wait for the government to fill in the blanks yes. of our history.
2: Yes. You know? Absolutely. Um, are her parents still alive? Her parents? No. Yeah.
3: She would have, oh gosh. She would, well, yeah, you know, that's right. She would have been very, 90. very old today if she was. Yes, yeah, she would lot. have been ninety
2: in her 90s. That's true. Her parents couldn't be alive. <laughs> what am I thinking? I was just wishful thinking. <laughs> um, but because, but you know. Her son
3: is, yeah. And yeah. He's, he's an interesting guy. And, and he, he should eventually have an interesting book coming out. And he's asked me to write the forward. Oh, Cool. Uh, and uh i i I kind of feel like um in a way, he didn't do it over all these years i don't you know I don't know why he that's hasn't what been. I was
2: just going to ask you no. why has it taken him all these years
3: I don't know. It should have been him first, i believe um you know rightly so and, and I would have loved to have read his book when I started doing my research
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh but you know in a way, I think he's he's still you know he's he's kind of haunted by the, the ghost of uh, Rose Shermie's mother. And, and I think anyone with, with common sense and, and, and uh, you know, know of the history of the, the conspiracy or the theories that are out there, I mean, other people should be haunted by the specter of Rose Shermie. And I think, in a way, it's a way that his, um, <clears throat> that his mother is still kind of protecting him, that, you know, she's still, <laughs> in a way, watching out for him, making sure that he doesn't write that book. And finding some fool like myself to come along. And and, then really, Rose Shermie was the whole reason that I came to Eunice, Louisiana in 2010. I'd never even been to Eunice.
2: Oh, really?
3: Yeah, I'm from Lake Charles, Louisiana originally. And, but Eunice is just a a wonderful place and, and most, what's interesting to me is the whole generation of like the baby boomers, when I would tell them the story about their own local history, they had no idea what I was talking about.
2: They had
3: no clue, but the old folks, the people who were around back then in 63, they knew. They knew exactly what I was talking about.
2: Wow! It just, yeah, so, it just so, so it captivated on my first day in you town. so much that you would that you even moved there. I just assumed that it was kind of fortuitous that you lived there, and that yeah. this story came from there. Well wow.
3: No, I I, I move I live in Eunice, and I just slowly die in Lake Charles, Louisiana.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, well, how are we doing for time? Boy, you know this whole thing is just so fascinating. What? Um, Oh, I don't know what else to ask you. Just, I mean, I guess, just um, so so basically, from
3: well, I'll, I'll, let me, I, I can, I can add a little something yeah. here. Well, I mentioned something earlier about what I learned about, uh, you know, art, and and I have a friend of mine, Hal Moore, who. Uh, we're trying to develop a graphic novel adaptation of my book, you know, like a comic book version of my book. Okay. And he's like a comic book artist. He does these great illustrations and he I gave him a copy of my manuscript before it was published and I said, "See what you can come up with and do some pictures." You know, let's let's kind of get some because I, I really did want to change the way that the world saw Rose me. and the best way to change the way that the world sees Rose me is to just change the way that the world sees Rose. Share me through this artwork of Hal Moore, who's a wonderful artist. And if you find us on Facebook, you can you search by the book, a Rose by many other names, and we should pop up. And his artwork is there, and uh, kind of synonymous with my own. We're both actually going to Dallas for the 50th this week. Mm. We'll be there. And, uh, but, you know, it's, if you can change, you know, you can look at a, a picture or a photograph of something and, and it's instantaneous. You, you might not read my book and you might not read every chapter of my book, but if you look at a picture, you look at art, it's instantaneous. And art is actually very powerful and it could be a controversial thing. Uh, so I wanted to change the way the world saw Rocher made so that they would might believe her because 50 years ago, tomorrow, they looked at her character, and they did not believe her. So, I, you know, I really got to ask, what's the truth going to look like? What form is the truth going to take when it finally does come? You know, you think you're going to get the truth from CNN or Fox? Um, I doubt it, uh, and I don't think it's going to come in the form of some government memo or some government document. I think. what you know what's interesting
2: is that today, these days, um, there is a law that. Um, you need if someone tells you, you now. Granted, if they're deemed psychotic, this you know doesn't necessarily hold. But if there is a threat, a believable, a credible threat to someone's life, um, and you know or have an idea that someone is going to be killing someone, mm. um, nowadays it would be more likely that a psychiatrist would or should report what she said. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and it's really, it's, it's unfortunate that, I mean, I can, it's unfortunate that, you know, of course, at that time, nothing, well, I mean, Lincoln had been assassinated, but, I mean, I could see where people would think it's just too far-fetched, but, but at the same time, um, I mean, also, as you were saying, there were rumors about it, not that people, you know, I guess the idea would be, did, did she, like, did she tell, um, the, any of the authorities, the psychiatrists well, or the police or whatever, who right. was going to kill him.
3: Well, and if she did, that's where the true horror kind of lies with this, because when she was asked on Monday, while Lee Harvey Oswald and while JFK were both being buried on Monday following the assassination, she was asked by the state trooper, yeah. and after, after they got her into Texas, they said, and Dallas police didn't want to talk to her because they had their case cinched up, uh, they asked her rose do you want to talk to the FBI and she said no that she and my thought is and this is really kind of you know uh, a a horrible thought but what if she had already told the FBI what mm. she knew
2: mm. and
3: then if if so then rose certainly saw the bigger picture that we were America was still trying to figure out mm. in Dallas 50 years ago as it was the craziness was just unfolding and uh and she could have had a glimpse certainly at the future um, before many of us uh, knew what was coming. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, I want to make sure that we have the time to give out um, where people. Well, I mean, obviously, people can get it where books are so, where books are sold. Sure. Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, I presume.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you're in Dallas or the Dallas area, I will be in Dallas on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And I will have copies of the books if you want, and I'd gladly love to meet you and sign them as well. But yeah, JFKRose.com, and there's even an audio book coming, uh, Dr. Lieberman, where I actually I, I, I narrate. I'll read the book to you. I'll read the book to you. Well, I'll use that's... my own voice. I narrate my own book. So the audio book is coming out as well.
2: Well, very cool, and that's JFKrose. .com. com, yes, ma'am. So you'll be, will you be at bookstores, signing at bookstores?
3: No, I'm actually going to be at the uh, they have it's a annual conference they have on the anniversary in Dallas called the Lancer uh, Conference. It's at the Adolphus Hotel in oh. Dallas. And then another, I'm got to have a speaking engagement at the Belmont on Saturday, the 23rd. And uh, we'll also have some of Hal Moore's artwork and, and books as well.
2: So, well, yeah, I'd love to meet so, you. Mm-hmm. And people can connect with you through your website jfkrose.com?
3: Yeah, they can or they can go find the Facebook page, a rose by many other names, rose share me in the JFK assassination,
2: uh, okay. that way. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I may anybody who's going to be in Dallas, um, I would recommend that you go and read 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 go, well, read the book and go and meet Todd Elliott um, if you have this opportunity to be in Dallas, this in the coming days. So, Todd, thank you so much. That was really fascinating. Well, thank and I
3: thank you, Dr. Carol.
2: And I wish you well with this. Um, and and yes, I'm all for the real the real truth uh, coming out, whatever that may be. So, um, thank you for for doing all this research and bringing us closer to the truth. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.